Hey, if you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, first, first Samuel. Um, that's where we're going to be tonight. I know uh, Destiny uh, had said beforehand but I, that I was going to be doing Saul and David. Uh, we're not going to get to David uh, tonight. I could barely get past the beginning of Saul's life, so we're not going to make it all the way to David. Uh, but, you know, we had good intentions when we got started uh, earlier today. Uh, but if, you, if you've been here in the Bible, you can turn me down a little bit. I'm way too hot. Um, <laughs> that sounds bad, right? I'm way too hot up here. Turn me down. Uh, no, that's, that's a sound word. Never mind. Let's move on. Um, we're, in here, we've been going through the key uh, Bible figures. Now, I don't feel like I'm loud enough at all. Um, if we can find that, that good medium in between me hearing myself talk and me hearing myself bounce back, uh, we'll, we'll work it out there. Um, and I can always grab the other mic if that'll work uh, for you. Um, yeah, go ahead and turn me up some more. Let's just keep on playing with this. I'm going to... Check one, two, three, check one, two, three, check, testing one. Is that, does that good? The crowd has spoken. The crowd has spoken. Um, uh, we've been going through the key figures of the Bible, and uh, as we've been making our way through the Bible, uh, we, we started there with uh, Abraham, and um, I got a little graphic that I want to put up here on the screen for you just so you can kind of see um, where we are in the Bible. Um, uh, let's just take a look at this real quick. Uh, we've been going through the key, key figures of the Bible. We're focusing on the Old Testament. Um, and so many times, man, when you start talking about the Old Testament, um, uh, so much is, is happening back there. Uh, this is going to drive me crazy. I'm sorry. I can't. I just can't do it. All right, give Joel a great round of applause there. Thank you, Joel. And uh, let, let's just go through this real quick um, with, with Abraham. Um, we, we see there the, the call of, of Abraham, and then it, it, it begins what we call the period of the patriarchs, and that's where we started. We started with Abraham. Um, Abraham was, uh, was called out. God said, I, I need to create a people for myself, and he called out Abraham, and uh, then Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and that's where we get into the period of, of the patriarchs, and we preached our way through that, and then uh, uh, Jacob had a, a son by the name of Joseph, uh, and uh, we talked about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery um, in Egypt, and, uh, and then God lifted him up there uh, in the midst of Egypt, became the second most powerful man in Egypt. Uh, the people of Israel, Joseph's people, his family became so powerful, the people of God became so powerful that the Egyptians actually enslaved them because they were afraid they were going to raise up, uh, rise up and, and take over. And so they spent 400 years there uh, in, in Egypt. Um, in captivity, and then you see there the Exodus, the Exodus. So you have the call of Abraham. We preach through those: Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, 
uh, Joseph. Then we had uh, the Exodus, and that's where Moses comes into the story. The people of God have been enslaved. Uh, Moses was uh, was born um, a Hebrew. He was born in the people of God. Uh, at that time, Pharaoh was killing all of the all of the babies. Moses's mother put him into the river, floated him down the river. He ends up on the backside of Pharaoh's palace, um, and Pharaoh's daughter fishes him up out of um, out of the water, takes care of him. He, so he's raised in the palace, but he is a Hebrew child. Um, this uh, this begins to to come into this climax where he's feeling this tug between his people and the Egyptians. He's too much Hebrew to really be Egyptian. He's too much Egyptian to be completely Hebrew, and he's in this internal struggle and. And in the midst of all of this, he, he actually kills an Egyptian who was mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves. Um, and then Pharaoh's after him. And now uh, Moses is, is on the run. Moses runs out into the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness for 40 years. God speaks to Moses. Moses comes back to Pharaoh. That's where you get, um, you know, the, the whole ten plagues. Uh, you get them coming out, the Red Sea. All of that happened there uh, there at the Exodus. So they, they cross uh, the Red Sea, miracle. Then they get into the wilderness. Forty years they spend in the wilderness. Moses is their leader. God comes down. A series of events take place. God says, Moses, your time here is done. Joshua is going to be the one that is going to lead the people into the promised land. Moses uh, Moses dies there. Joshua takes over, and we, we preached on, on Joshua, and that's when Joshua took the people from the wilderness across the Jordan River into the promised land. This is the land that God promised all the way back to the people of Abraham, So when, I mean to Abraham and his descendants. So when Abraham came over, this is where they came, the promised land. They moved to Egypt. Now they're coming all the way back into the promised land. And then you get into the conquest. This is where Joshua and the people of Israel are taking possession of the promised land. Because the promised land wasn't just an empty field. It was occupied. It was occupied. Uh, it was occupied by the Canaanites and the, and the Amorites and the Ittites and the Termites and Cellulites and every other ite you can imagine. They were all there, and they had to be driven out of the land. And so they were they were they were driven out of the land. And then you see that the conquest is complete. So so Joshua and his descendants. That's what happens there. And then you enter into the period of. The judges. Okay, so now you have this people. They are living in this land. They have dominated this land. They are the conquerors and the champions of this land. Um, and now you have these are the twelve tribes. All the, all the twelve tribes are here. They are living in this place. And uh, uh, but how how are you going to all live together? You know, I mean, you you can't even get along, brothers and sisters. How are you going to do that with a couple million people, right? And so you you figure how are they going to do? It? Well, the the God God appointed judges. And these judges were basically just to give uh, just rulings. They were there for domestic disputes. They were there to help just keep control of everything that was going on. And so that's the that's the period of judges. And there's a book in the Bible called Judges. And if you're interested in that period, you can read about the book of Judges. All the judges are in there. And so you read this period. Um, Destiny spoke last week about Samuel talked about Samuel. And if you were here, um, uh, Destiny talked about Samuel. Samuel was a, a multi 
multifaceted uh, a leader. He, he was uh, what they say, he was the, the last judge. He was the first prophet. He was also uh, uh, leading people in, in the war and, and helping them win some battles. And so Samuel was a very diverse person, but he's right here at the end of the period of Judges, and we're going to read a little bit about Samuel tonight. Uh, and then we see Israel's monarchy begins. That's when Israel first anoints a king. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight with Saul. So this is all that we have been that, that we have been looking at so far uh, during this semester in our Old Testament timeline. Just so you can kind of have an idea, we are working our way: the patriarchs, the wilderness, the conquest of the Promised Land, the period of the judges, and now we are into um, Israel's monarchy with the first king. And and Saul uh, is is Israel's first king. And it's interesting how it's interesting how he got there. Um, it's interesting how he got to this place. The, the Bible tells the story in First uh, Samuel uh, chapter chapters eight and nine. It, it's the beginning of this of this journey, and it, the Bible says that uh, that Sam that excuse me that Saul's father had lost some donkeys, and uh, Saul's father was a wealthy man, and he sent Saul and one of his servants out to find the lost donkeys. And they they thought that they would be able to find them pretty quick, but they're out there looking for the donkey and one day passes and they're still looking for the donkeys and two days pass and finally Saul says, man, we just got to go back home. My dad's going to be more worried about us than he is about the donkeys. And, and the servant says, this, says well, but wait a minute, we're really close to this town and in this town lives the man of God. He is, he is a prophet. He is a seer, and his name is Samuel. And we can go ask him, and I bet he will know where these donkeys are. He will give us the instructions that we need so we can get the donkeys and we can go back home, and your dad will be happy, and we can live happily ever after. And the Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Verse 17, it says, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Here Samuel is waiting. He's waiting for Saul because the Lord had spoke to Samuel the day before. And he said, about this time tomorrow, there will be a man that comes from the tribe of Benjamin. And he will be the man that I have chosen to rule and to lead my people. And so Samuel was waiting for this moment, and here comes Saul. Even, even though Samuel had never seen Saul before in his life, when he saw him approaching the city, God speaks to the prophet, and he says, that is the man that I told you about. He will rule my people. While the servant was talking to Saul about his donkeys, God was talking to Samuel about his destiny. See, while Saul was out there worried about the donkeys, God was talking to the prophet about Saul's destiny. You know, God can really use anything in your life. If God used a donkey to move Saul towards his destiny, then you know what God can use? God can use your mean boss. God can use your hateful brother. God can use anything in your life to push you to, towards your destiny. If God used an ugly, goofy animal, 
animal, to get Saul into the right place, then let me tell you, God can use anything in your life to put you in the place so that he can speak to you, so that he can change your direction, that he can transform your life. God can use anything. God can use anything. And the Bible says there in verse 18, it says, just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. You know, it's interesting that God knows who you are and where you are, even when you don't even recognize him. God, Samuel knew who Saul was. Samuel knew that Saul was the king. But Saul didn't know who Samuel was. And so many times, God knows what he created you for. And he knows where you're going. And he knows your purpose. And he knows his plan. But the reality is, as many times we walk up on God and we don't know that we've walked up on God. We don't know where we are. And he says, excuse me, sir, I'm looking for the prophet. I'm looking for the seer. I'm looking for this man by the name of Samuel. That's who I'm looking for. And he says, I am that man. You know, it's, uh, it's so funny to, be, uh, to meet people in, uh, in public places where they, in, when they don't know, the, you know what I do. They don't know that I'm a pastor. And uh, you can get on an airplane uh, or it's, it's, it's really great when you're in a tight space and people can't leave uh, because you sit down next to somebody and, and they, they start, you know, and I just I always engage in some type of conversation and then I always go, so well, tell me what you do. And, oh, you know, I do this. And, man, most of the time they're cursing a little bit, being a little crude, you know. And, uh, you know, I just let them, I just keep on, man. I just, I, I'm laughing, you know, because I know the question's coming. And I just keep on going. I'm like, tell me more about that, you know. And they just keep on going. And they're like, tell me what you do. I say, oh, I'm a pastor. And they and they, they typically always have like one or two responses. They, either their first response is, oh, well, you, you, you know, I go, I go to church. I go to church. Or if they feel bad about that because they know that's not true, they say, well, you know, my uncle, he's a deacon. He's a deacon. You know, they, they know somebody that's in church, and that one person that they know, they're going to bring that person into the picture. And say, I, I, I know. I'm like, oh, well, that's great, man. I'm so glad. Praise, praise God. And if they say I go to church, I'm like, yeah, tell me. What's, the, what's your pastor's name? Well, you know, it's been a while since I've been there. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I, I love doing it. I love doing it. But, you know, it's just so many times that, 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 that we just don't realize that, that, that God is, is right there. We, we just don't understand. We don't, we don't know that, uh, that God's been right there, and, and we, just didn't, we just didn't see him. Because one, we're, we're chasing one thing, but then we catch something completely different. We thought we, we knew what we wanted, but then God knew what we needed. And, and we, we're chasing, many times we're chasing what we want, but God knows that's not what we need. And so we end up in the place, and we end up there, and we're looking for donkeys, but God knows you need a lot more than a donkey right now. And, and we think we know what we want, but God knows what we need. And that's why the, the, the prophet says, I, I am the seer. And, and I love God because God creates these dramatic situations in the Bible. I mean, like, he could have come into town 
and been like, hey, I'm looking for the prophet. And the lady at the gate could have been like, okay, well, let me take you to his house and, and let's knock on the door. He's not here. Okay, let's go over here. Let's. That's not the way God does it. Like Saul is just walking into town and Samuel's like waiting. Like this is like a movie. You're like, da-da-da. You know what I mean? God just has these amazing introductions. Jesus walking along the, 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 the seashore around the Sea of Galilee and he's like, Peter, Andrew, follow me. And they drop their nets and they begin. It's just dramatic introductions. And we see this dramatic introduction uh, with, with him. And I love what he says because this is the same thing that God speaks to us when we meet God. And he said, I am the seer. It's the same thing that God says to us, I am I am. It's a dramatic introduction, and we don't know what we're really looking for. We're trying to find happiness. We're trying to find fulfillment. We're trying to find pleasure. We're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find things that we can't even fully describe or define or wrap our hands around. We are looking for something. We know that we're looking for something, but we don't even really know what it is. And then God steps in. He says, I am. I am what you are looking for. I am your joy. I am your peace. I am your fulfillment. I I am everything that you have always longed for, and I am everything that you will ever need. I am. I, I am. That is who God is. And, and he, is, he, he is concerned about this introduction, but, he, but he's, he's more concerned uh, than just with the, the introduction. God doesn't just want to introduce you to himself. He wants to come in and take over. It's not just about the introduction. I mean, I, I love the dramatic introductions. I love it. But it's not just about the introduction, it's about the takeover. Man, I was listening to um, Pastor Stephen Furtick this last week, and uh, he just uh, preached a series as pastor of Elevation Church in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. He's a fantastic preacher. I encourage you uh, to listen to his messages. And I was just listening to him, and he, he just finished a series um, called the, the Seven Mile Miracle, and he, he's talking about the seven miles uh, that, uh, that Jesus' two followers walked uh, on the road to Emmaus right after Jesus has, has been crucified and buried in the tomb, and on Sunday they are, they are walking back um, to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk, and then Jesus appears. They don't know that it's Jesus, but Jesus appears to them along the road. We talked about this on, on Sunday, if you were here, and Jesus appears to them on the road and begins to walk with them, and they're, they're, they're so hopeless. They're so broken. They're so confused. They, they were really hoping that Jesus was going to be this Messiah, this ruler uh, that would reign over his people, and they're like, we saw him crucified, and he was buried, and we don't really know what's going on and Jesus is walking with them. Jesus begins to explain the scriptures to them and they still don't catch on yet and they go all the way and they're breaking off into their place uh, to go there in Emmaus and Jesus acts like he's going to keep on walking on and they're like, no, 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 come, please come with us. The sun's already going down. It's getting late. Come stay with us tonight. And the Bible says that Jesus goes into their home and it's an interesting thing there because they've just been on this seven-mile walk. Now, seven miles, if, you, if you're walking seven miles, it's say, ah, you know, they weren't in Nike Airs, okay? I mean, let's say they're, they're, they're walking. Let's, let's give them 20 minutes uh, for a mile, okay? Seven miles at, at 20 minutes. We're two, two plus hours here. We're talking two plus hours of, of, of walking. This is not some short journey. And, and they sit down and they're going to eat. They sit down and they're going to eat and now they're in their house. Jesus is their guest. 
Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I go over to somebody's house and I'm the guest, I let them sit down first. I let them tell me where to sit. I just sit there. I wait till they serve whatever. I don't eat until somebody tells me to eat. Why? Because I'm the guest, not Jesus when he walks into their house. The Bible says that he took the bread. They didn't offer him the bread. They didn't say, Jesus, would you like to bless the food? The Bible just says Jesus took the bread. Why? Because when Jesus comes into your life, he's not coming to sit there. He's coming to take over. And he wants to get his hands on every part of your life. And so he gets the, his hands on the bread, and then he blesses the bread. Then he breaks it, and then they recognize that it was him. I don't know. I don't know if it was the blessing that gave it away. I don't know if they saw the nail scars in his hands, or I don't know if it's the the way that Jesus come in and just took over like the boss that he is and they said there's only one man that walks into somebody else's house and takes over like this and it is the son of the living God. This has got to be Jesus because Jesus isn't just about the introduction. He's about to take over. He comes in to take over. He wants to take over our thoughts and our lives and our desires and our actions and our words. He wants to take over. Over, But God is not just concerned with the introduction. God is also very concerned with the instruction because it's not just the introduction that, that, Saul, uh, that Samuel makes to Saul. It is also the instruction that he gives right after the introduction. And the Bible says this in verse 19. It says, uh, go up to the place of worship ahead of me, Samuel tells Saul. We will eat there together, and in the morning I'll tell you what you want to know, and I will send you on your way. This grand introduction, I am the seer, I am the prophet, this great introduction, but now he is giving Saul some sound instruction. Go up to the place of worship. Go up to the place of worship. You see, whenever we decide that we're going to go up to the place of worship. Something happens in us when we decide that we got to go up to the place of worship because you can't go up to the place of worship and stay where you are. You got to get up to go up. You got, you got to get yourself up to go up to the place of worship. You, 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 can't, you can't stay in your pity and go up to the place of worship. You can't stay feeling sorry for yourself and go to the place of worship. When you go to the place of worship, you got to get up. And whenever you get to the place of worship, guess what? You got to lift up your eyes. You got to lift up. You got to get your eyes off of your situation and you got to put your eyes on him. And so whenever you have to get up and whenever you have to lift up your eyes, there's something happens that whenever you go up to the place of worship, it changes your perspective about everything. It always changes. Worship, that's why we love to worship, because it changes your perspective. It changes your perspective when you begin to worship the Creator because you get so stressed out about $20. You get so stressed out about one of your kids. You get so stressed out, and then you begin to worship the Creator of the heavens and earth, and you start thinking, wow, God, you can probably handle this $20 problem I have. Wow, God, if you created my child, you can probably take care of my child. Why? Because when I worship, my perspective changes. And so Samuel told Saul, it's nice to meet you. This is a great interview. But let me tell you what's got to take place first. We got to go worship. Because everything that comes after that is not going to make sense if we don't worship first. You got to get the right perspective. Got to get the right perspective. Let's go up to worship. This past Saturday, I had the, the privilege of um, going to Dodson, Louisiana. Dodson, Louisiana. 
right past Jonesboro and Hodge. Zach Toms, I, I said it just for you, my brother, just for you. Zach Toms is one of six people from Jonesboro and Hodge. The other is his family. I'm in Dodson, Louisiana. I, I said it shouldn't be called Dodson. It should be called Dot. Dotson. It's a dot on the map. It ain't even a dot. It's like a grain, a grain of sand on the map. That's all it is. And so I'm there. But Teen Challenge, I don't know if you're familiar with Teen Challenge or not. Teen Challenge is is a, a drug and alcohol rehab. It's a, a year-long program, Christian-based um, um, program. It's all, it's all over the world. Teen Challenge Center is all, all over the world. And um, I, I got to speak at their graduation. They had 12, uh, uh, 12 students graduating um, uh, their program, and uh, they have a, a men's program, a, a women's program. And so I was doing uh, the graduation service, a uh, little commencement speech and charge to those um, that are graduating, and they let everyone that was graduating say a few words, and, and one girl got up, and she said, you know, she said, I was talking to Amy just yesterday, and in 12 months of uh, being in the program, and they actually don't graduate, it's pretty neat, They're, they go 12 months through the program, and then you don't actually graduate until six months after, so you have to get out of the program and stay clean and sober for six months before you actually get to participate in the, in the graduation. And so she said, uh, so she said uh, you know, in the last 12 months of the program and six months being out, she goes, in 18 months, she goes, I have not had a bad day. I have not had a bad day. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's probably not true. That's probably, in 18 months, you can roll your ankle and have a bad day. Or you can have a flat tire and just have a bad day. You, you, I mean, you, you, we could classify one of those eight, one day in those 18 months. I mean, what are we talking for? Four, 500 days? Like, I mean, well, surely one day did not go as good as she thought. So in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Praise God for you. Okay, that's good. And then Amy gets up next. And Amy says, you know, we were talking about that. And she said, and I know what she's saying. She says, she said that we haven't bad, had a bad day. But she said, it's not really that we haven't had a bad day. It's just now we have a new perspective. And she said, with a new perspective, your bad days aren't bad days anymore. What used to be chalked up as a bad day doesn't go down as a bad day anymore. Why? Because I have a brand new perspective. I'm not seeing life the way that I used to see life. And I said, ding, 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 ding. You're the winner. You're the winner, Amy. You're the winner. Because it's all about your perspective. It's about how you see your flat tire. It's about how you see that situation. It's about how you see that failure. It's all about your perspective. And that's why worship is so important. He said, we've got to go up and we've got to worship. Before we do anything else, we've got to go to the place of worship. Something powerful happens when we go to the place of worship. He says, in the morning, I'll tell you what you want to know. I'll tell you tomorrow morning. But first... Let's go worship. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.33. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. 
Seek him first. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek God first, and he will give you everything you need. You see, what you need, your need follows your seek. But listen to me, your want swallows your seek. What you need will follow your seek. When you seek first the kingdom, guess what? Everything you need will be added unto. You will get what you need when you seek first the kingdom. But your wants will never go behind seeking the kingdom. Your wants will find a way to get in front of you seeking God and in front of you seeking his kingdom and in front of you seeking his way. And what your wants do is your wants will literally swallow your seek. And instead of you seeking God and getting what you need, you will live in your wants. And guess what? Your wants will give you what you really Really didn't want and your want will, will it will swallow instead of your needs following your seek your, your wants will swallow it'll swallow your seek your, your wants get out in front of you and it'll give you what you don't even want this is why prayer is our first response it's not our last resort Prayer is our first response into every situation. We don't try everything else. We don't talk to every friend we have to get advice, and then when nothing else is working, we say, God, you got to help us with this. No, prayer is our first response. When things aren't going the way that we want them to go, when we wake up in the morning, we don't, we don't just let the day happen and then start praying when it all starts falling apart. No, prayer is our first response. It is not our last resort. We pray and we trust. When you pray and you trust and you seek the kingdom of God first, the promise of the word of God says that you will get everything you need. It does not say you will get everything that you want because chances are what you want is not really what you want. And and so you seek first the kingdom and you trust God and he will give you everything you need. But you don't live by your wants, you live by your seeking. You don't live by your wants, you live by, by, by going to the place of worship and seeking him with all of your heart. And so that's what Samuel was telling Saul. We're going to go to the place of worship. We're going to go and we're going to worship. We're going to go and we're going to worship. Saul came to the town and Saul came into the town wanting an answer. But what he really needed was an anointing. He came wanting an answer, but what, but what Saul really needed was an anointing. We can be worried about today, but God is trying to prepare us for our tomorrow. He was worried about those donkeys. He was worried about his current situation. He was worried about what was in front of him. And he came to the prophet seeking an answer about the donkeys. And he didn't understand that he was about to be anointed as the first king of Israel. He thought he knew what he wanted, but God knew what he needed. He needed a conversation with Samuel. We can get caught up worried about today. God's trying to prepare us for tomorrow. God, God wasn't worried about those donkeys. God was worried about getting the oil on Saul's head. God was worried about his, his anointing. The Bible says this in verse 20. It says, and, and don't worry, this is what Samuel says. So he says, look, we're going to go up and we're going to worship. And then, then Samuel says, and don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago. Okay, I love God. God will show off sometimes. Saul didn't tell him the donkeys had been lost for three days. 
Samuel didn't know how long the donkeys had been lost. He just said, I just want you to know that I hear from God and I know the donkeys have been lost for three days. You know, sometimes God, God just shows off just so you know that he's around, just so you know that, whoo, that's like spooky, right? Spooky, spooky, like God says, I know, I know they've been lost for three days. God just getting your attention. He says, I know they've been lost three days, but they've been found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Whew. You know, too many times we live stressed out by things that God has already fixed. We live all stressed out, and God's already got it fixed. Just because you haven't seen your donkeys yet doesn't mean that God doesn't already have them tied up. Stressed out about the donkeys, God's already got it under control. Stressed out, what's dad going to think about my donkeys? God's had the donkeys tied up for you. God's got them reserved. God had reserved signs right hanging outside their mouth. They're reserved. They were just waiting on Saul. But too many times we, we, we let ourselves get too worked up by things that God has already fixed. You know, I mean, 95% of the things you worry about never even happen, right? 95% of the things that we get stressed out about, worried about, play over and over and again in our mind, they never even happen. That situation, that conversation with your boss, you go over and over around in your mind, it never even happens. That, that situation you're worried about with your 16-year-old, you just play over and over and over in your mind, that situation never even happens. That thing that you think might be going, it never, it never comes to fruition. It never happens. We live our lives so worried about today, and we live so stressed out by today, and we're stressed out by things that God has already taken care of. Go up to the place of worship. Why do you go up to the place of worship? So you can get out of the place of worry. That's why you go up to the place of worship. He said, we're going to go to the place of worship. He follows that by saying, don't worry about your donkeys. What's God saying? God's saying, we're going to go worship because I know if we don't go worship, you're just going to keep worrying. And that's why we come to worship. Why? Because we got all kinds of things potentially we could worry about. We could worry about the economy. We could worry about the government. We could worry about North Korea. We could worry about our, 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 we we could worry about our, our relocation. We just getting having to move to another city. We we can get worried about all kinds of things. We can get worried about all this stuff, and that's why God says, "No, let's go to the place of worship." Because if you don't move to the place of worship, you're going to sit in the place of worry, and that place of worry is not going to do anything productive for you. Why? Because Proverbs twelve twenty five says this: Worry weighs a person down. Who wants? To be weighed down. Matt Barcelona, a member of our church here, uh, just ran in the Boston Marathon just two days ago. And, and there's one thing I can tell you. He didn't put on a 40-pound vest to run the marathon. He didn't go out there in a big trench coat and big old boots and go, oh, man, I just can't wait to run this marathon. Let me see what else I can put on. Let me see how much I can wear, weigh myself down. No, that's not what he was doing. Why? Because the purpose is to be as light as you can when you run that race. It's the same way in life. If you're trying to carry all the problems of your past and all the situations of your present, and you're just trying to carry it, and you're worried about everything, guess what? It's going to weigh you down. How can you fight the good fight weighed down? How can you run the race that God created you to run weighed down? How can you live the right life that God created you to live way down. You can't live it way down. And what does worry do? It weighs you down. Can't live that way. Worry is going to weigh you down. So if you don't move out of today's worry, then you can never be tomorrow's warrior. 
If you don't move out of worry today, if you do not move out of today's worry, then you cannot be tomorrow's warrior. God is creating you for a purpose. God is creating you to fight that fight and run that race. He had created you to accomplish his purpose. He created you with a plan in mind. And if you are going to be who God created you to be, this conquering warrior in your future, then let me tell you what, you cannot sit in today's worry and become that. It's not going to happen. And he, Samuel goes on and, and, and he tells him, he says, look, don't worry about the donkeys you lost three days ago. They've already been found. I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hope. You know, sometimes we can't hear what God is trying to say to us about our future because we're just so worried about the present. God's trying to speak to us about the future, about who he created us to be, about the husband he created us to be, about the father, the mother he created us to be. He's talking to us about the influence that he created us to have. He's, he wants to talk to us about the authority that he wants to give us, the power he wants to give us, the victory that he wants us to walk. He's talking to us about our future, but we can't hear what he's saying about our future because we are so stressed out and worried about the present. And when you do that, here's what happens. You trade your destiny for your donkeys. So I'm just worried about my present situation today. How weird would it have been if Samuel would have said, don't worry about the donkeys. You lost three days ago. They're taken care of. You and your family are the focus of the hope of all of Israel. And Saul would have said, yeah, but I'm still, I'm still so worried about those donkeys. Oh, God, where are those donkeys? Where are those donkeys? No, maybe you didn't hear what I was trying to say to you. I, I, I want you to know the donkeys are okay, and you and your family are the hope. You are the future. I, I, I don't really know how to say this right now, but everything is depending upon you. Oh, what about those donkeys? Oh, God, I'm so worried, stressed out about those donkeys. What is my dad going to say if I come up without the donkeys? I don't have, oh, he, he loves old Bingo. What's he going to do without Bingo and Jimmy? Bingo and Jimmy, those are his favorite donkeys. I can't even, hey, but you know what? That's what some of us are like. God's speaking to us about his divine destiny and plan, and we're worried about Bingo and Jimmy. We're trading we're trading our destiny for our donkeys. We put more attention and focus on, on, on our current situation than we do on him. And, 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 and it, would have been, it would have been so weird. It would have been so weird if, 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 Saul would have told, if Samuel would have told Saul that, Saul that and, and Saul would have responded that way. But, but that's not the way that, that, that Saul responded. He said, um, excuse me? See, his, his, donkeys, his donkeys represented his current situation. But his response that we're about to read speaks to his, his status. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, this is, what, this is how Saul responds. Verse 19, Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. 
why are you talking to me like this? Now Saul's not worried about the donkey. Now he's worried about his deficiency. Wow. I'm I'm from the smallest tribe. And, And my family is at the very bottom of that tribe. Why are you telling me right now that the future hope of Israel is up to me and my family? See, in that moment, Saul's status did not match Samuel's statement. Samuel's statement was, you're the future of Israel. All the hope of Israel is in you and in your family. But here was Saul standing over here in a status that says, I'm not, I'm not prepared for that. I'm not equipped for that. He's living in his deficiency. What do you do whenever what, what God reveals doesn't match up with how you feel? What, what, what do you do? How do you respond? How do you respond when what God reveals to you doesn't match up with how you feel about you? Because God says, you are my masterpiece. You are my greatest work of art. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible declares that you are more than a conqueror. It declares that you are so special to God that nothing should ever separate you from his love. Matthew said, you are a city on a hill. You are a shining bright light to the whole entire world. That is who you are. How do you deal with when what God reveals about you doesn't match up with how you feel about yourself? You do the same thing that Saul did. You you put more focus on the worry than you do on the wow. God says, you, 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 are, you are my masterpiece. You, you, are, you are my masterpiece. And what do, we, what do we focus on? We focus on, I'm not, I don't feel like a masterpiece. You, you, you are my greatest work of art. I don't feel like a great work of art. I feel more like Carolina Lee's drawings. I feel more like Pastor Philip's stick figures. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, feel, I don't feel that way. God says, you are more than a conqueror. You say, I I feel more like I'm being conquered than I am conquering. God says, no, 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 you don't understand. There's nothing that could ever separate you from my love, and all you see is all the things that you think should be separating you from his love. And God comes down, and he says, I I want to reveal, and, and we put more attention on the worry than we do the wow, because there is a wow in every one of those. I am God's masterpiece. Wow. I am more than a conqueror. Wow. Nothing in this entire world will be able to separate me from his love. Wow. I am a city set on a hill shining into the world. Wow. I am a son of almighty God. Wow, there are so many things to put a wow on, but when God reveals it and we don't feel it, all we do is put our worry where our wow should have been. Oh, man, I just don't. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, my, my family not really, my family's not, my, my mom and dad, you know, they didn't really raise me in church, and I don't, I don't really feel like I really fit in in church because I just kind of squeezed in. I had a lot of bad years in there, and I didn't really know about God, and I just, 
I just kind of squeezed in here in, in my 40s, and I'm just kind of getting things together, and I'm, I'm lost. And when you put that timeline up there, I didn't know if we're talking about Old Testament, New Testament. I don't know where Jesus fits in any of that. I don't know what's going on, but I'm here, and, and I, I, I'm just here. And so you're here, and, and you're tempted to put more focus on your worry than your wow because everything that I've said, it doesn't apply to those people who have 10 years of ministry experience. It doesn't apply to those people who were raised in church and can quote 100 Bible verses. No, whenever God said there's nothing that can separate you from my love, that was for every single person that would believe on Jesus Christ. When he said you are more than a conqueror, that wasn't a word for the missionaries, that was a word for the everyday believer. Whenever God put these promises out there, you are the city on the hill. That's not just for the people who are in full-time ministry. That's for the people that believe in Jesus and believe that he is the son of God and have given him their lives. That promise is for you. And so what you have to learn to do is to put more emphasis on the wow and less emphasis on the worry. It doesn't matter if you're from the tribe of Benjamin. It doesn't matter if your parents weren't saved. It doesn't matter what your fifth grade teacher spoke over you. It doesn't matter what your high school coach said about you. It doesn't, none of those things matter. Why? Because those things aren't your status. Your status is what God created you to be. Your status is what God has spoken over your life. Who you are has nothing to do with what somebody else told you. Who you are has everything to do with who the creator made you to be. You can choose to worry about your status or you can choose to be wowed by your status. Wow. He loves me. Wow. He's for me. Wow. He's here. Sure, you, you have deficiencies. There's no doubt. There's no question. You'll definitely, you definitely have deficiencies. I have deficiencies, but that's why there's so many sufficiencies in Christ. That's why, that's why Jesus told the Apostle Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you because you have so many deficiencies, Paul. I know you are awesome, and I know you're going to write so much of the Bible, and I know that you're out here doing amazing things, and I know you've been shipwrecked, and I know you've been beaten, and I know you're sticking your neck out there for me, and I know you're passionate about the church, and I know you're an apostle, and I know you're a preacher, and I know you're a builder, and I know that you love me, and I know that you love people, and I know all those things, but Paul, let me tell you, you still have some deficiencies, and I am your sufficiency, and if we could ever get to the place where we leaned more on the sufficiency that is in him than the deficiency that's in us, then we can find ourselves moving in the direction that God created us to move because he didn't create us to live in our deficiency. He created us to live in our sufficiency, but it's our deficiency that proves his sufficiency in our lives. All right, let's wrap this up. In verse 22, Samuel continues on, and he says, uh, Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall, and he placed them at the hand of the table, honor, at the head of the table, honoring them above the 30 special guests. Samuel then instructed the cook to bring Saul the finest cut of meat, the piece that had been set aside for the guest of honor. So the cook brought in the meat, placed it before Saul. Go ahead and eat it, Samuel said. I was saving it for you even before I invited these others. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. While Saul was out looking, God was already cooking.
Saul was out looking for the donkeys. And God was already cooking a meal for him. We know this because the meal was already prepared. The meal was, all, the meal was ready. I mean, this ain't, this ain't Chick-fil-A here, okay? Like, you don't get, there's no drive-through, okay? If you were gonna, if you were gonna cook something, you had to kill it, okay? Like, it took preparation. The meal was already prepared. You know, normally, normally you, you can, and, I, and I'm closing now, we can, we can go ahead and give me some keys, give me some motivation to wrap this thing up. You know, normally, normally you, you, you send out an invitation and then you do the preparation. Normally that's how it works. You're getting married, you send out an invitation. RSVP. Why? So that I can do the proper preparation after my invitation. Send an invitation to your birthday party. How many people are coming? Why? So that I can do the preparation after the invitation. But God does it backwards. God starts with the preparation, and then he sent the invitation. God, God, God did it backwards here. He started the preparation before, before Saul ever got to town. God was already cooking the meal. Before Samuel ever saw him and said, hey, let's go up to the place of worship. And let's have a meal together long before they ever locked eyes, long before they ever had a conversation. God was already cooking and preparing a meal. Do, do you know that God's never running around heaven trying to get that last minute blessing together for you? Like, God, God's not surprised. God, oh man, I didn't know they were going to give today. Oh man, I didn't know they were going to sacrifice it. Oh man, I, I wasn't expecting them to actually to sign up to serve. Oh my God, let's we got to get something ready up there. God's not scrambling around heaven trying to put something together for you in the last minute so that he could get it sent down here to earth so that you would get your blessing. God is never surprised by anything. Before you ever got the invitation, God was already in the midst of his preparation. Before you ever showed up, the blessing was already waiting on you. Think about Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was taking his son Isaac up on top of the mountain, God said, I want you to sacrifice him for me. And, and he's taking up Isaac, his, his son, his only son, the promised son, the son that he had waited 25 years to have. And now he's walking up the mountain and he, he's going to sacrifice his son. But it's interesting what, what, what Abraham told the servants when he told them, wait down here at the base of the mountain. Me and my son are going up to worship. We're going to go worship the Lord and then we, he said we. Now he knew he was going to sacrifice him, but he told the servant, we will come back to you. The book of Hebrews says that Abraham believed that God could raise his son from the dead. So we know that he was a man of faith. That's why he's the father of faith. But he goes up the mountain and it was there when he lays Isaac on the altar and he lifts up the knife and he is ready to, 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 to jab the knife down into his son. The angel appears and says, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now God knows that you fear him and you will do absolutely anything he asks. And the Bible says that Abraham looked over and and there was a ram caught in the thicket. See, what Abraham didn't realize is when he was down here at the base of the mountain, 
telling his servants, we're going to go up there and we're going to worship. And I don't really know how this is going to turn out. I'm walking in faith right now. I don't really know how God's going to come through. But we're going to worship. And, and I believe he's going to do something amazing. But, but we're going to go up the mountain and we're going to come back to you. While he was still at the base of the mountain, God already had a ram tied up. Because God's not scrambling around trying to get you what you need. And that's why we say he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. We get that name from God out of this story. It was there that Abraham says, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the God who provides. And you are the God who provides for me before I even know I have a problem. That's who God is. God's preparing your provision before you even know you have a situation. God's preparing your provision and you don't even know about the problem yet. What is Samuel saying to Saul? He's saying, God knew you were coming. God knew you were coming. You might not be ready, but he was. You might not have known this day was coming, but he knew it was coming. You, this might have caught you by surprise, but let me tell you one thing. This day did not catch God by surprise. He says, sit down and eat. Sit down and eat. I was saving it for you, he says, even before I invited these others. What God has for you, he has saved it for you. And God has invited other people to the party, and you didn't even know there was going to be a party. And God is already in the, in the kitchen cooking, and you're still out there looking. You're still chasing around your donkeys, worried about your situation, worried about how that's going to work out, stressed out about what your dad thinks, stressed out about your job performance, stressed out about how this person's not responding and Aunt Susie didn't send you back a text and all these things and you're not getting enough likes on your Instagram pictures and nobody thinks your kid's cute enough and all these things, you're just running around and you're chasing your donkeys and, and you're, you're, you're looking. You're looking for somebody to validate you, somebody to encourage you. You're looking for something. You're looking for something. You're out there looking. And all the while you're looking, God is steadily cooking. And he is preparing you for what he has in front of you. And he says, look, I know that you were coming to this moment. I knew you came here looking for donkeys, but you didn't really come looking for donkeys. What you came is you came really looking for your destiny. Because God is always doing more than you think think he is doing and after they eat this meal I mean this is just a prophetic amazing declaration of meeting God of worshiping God of, of trusting God and he says and then tomorrow I'm going to tell you what you really need to know it's already been amazing I mean wouldn't we say it's been amazing Samuel walks Saul out and Tells the servant, go, go on ahead, Saul's going to catch up with you. And it's there that Saul has a private anointing ceremony. Samuel takes out the oil. He pours the oil on Saul's head. He says, you, 
you will be the king. You will rule over God's people. You are the one that he has chosen. Yes, you. The one that was stressed out about the donkeys. Yes, you. Yes, you. The one that was so worried about all of your deficiencies. Yes, yes, you. Can I tell you tonight? If you came into this place worried about your donkeys, God will still anoint you. God will still use you. You came into this place tonight just worried about all your deficiencies. Put, putting more emphasis on the worry than the wow. Stressed out about all the things that you feel like you've left out. If God anointed Saul, guess what? God will anoint you. If God used him, God will use you. Would you stand with me tonight? to bow your heads just for a moment as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed I want you to think about the beauty of the beginning what a beautiful beginning oh man God meets him in this place and he didn't even expect God and God just shows up. Now he's standing in front of the man of God and says, we're going to go worship together. And he says, you're going to be the hope of Israel. And man, what an amazing night. He sits down. God knew you were coming. This meal is for you. You are the guest of honor. I mean, this, what an amazing beginning to the story. God dealing with his donkeys, God dealing with his deficiencies. Man, I wish the story had a great ending. Oh, I wish the story ended as beautifully as it began. situation more focused on them than you are him and in the midst of that God will still step into your situation he'll still anoint you you can be giving more attention to your deficiencies than you are his sufficiency God will still anoint you so many places in the Bible, the oil is the representation of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just take a moment as you have this picture in your mind of, of the oil being poured upon Saul's head. I see it like the Holy Spirit coming in and entering you. Yes, there's a great introduction. Yes, you've said yes to Jesus. You, you have made that step. You have said you have said yes to his will. You've said yes to his way. And the oil comes upon your life. And the Holy Spirit enters into your heart. And the Holy Spirit begins to abide. And the Holy Spirit comes in. 
and you find his grace and there's sufficiency for your deficiencies and you don't have to live anymore chasing your donkey. You can live pursuing your destiny. Yes, 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 and yes, and yes. But what happened to Saul? traded his donkeys and his deficiencies for the oil but as the story continued he traded the oil again for his donkeys and his deficiencies he reverted back to the man that we saw before he was anointed and he begins to worry about the wrong things and he begins to focus on things that God's not concerned about. And he begins to take things into his own hands. And he starts doing it his way. And the story doesn't end so well. Because once again, trade, but this wasn't a good trade. In the beginning of the story, he trades his donkeys and deficiencies for the oil, for the calling, for the purpose of God, walking with God, for the plan of God, for the will of God, for the way of God. It was a good trade, but then life moves on, and he makes a bad trade. hear me tonight don't trade the oil for the donkeys don't trade your calling for your current situation don't trade his way for your way don't trade his will for your will don't trade it don't trade it don't trade it don't trade his purpose for your pleasure don't trade it don't trade it, don't trade it, don't trade it the way that Saul traded it. What a beautiful beginning. What a horrible ending.